I'd like to welcome our audience to the podcast series that's hosted by the National Association of African American Studies. My name is Lemuel Berry Jr. and I serve as the association's executive director. Our guest for today is Dr. Dale Allison. Dr. Allison is a graduate of Boston University where she earned her BSN. Also the University of Pennsylvania where she earned both the MSN and PhD. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. Her most recent experiences include Hawaii Pacific University, Waikiki Health Center, Director of Holaiki Outreach Project, and also serving as a social professor at the University of Hawaii. Dr. Dale Allison has more than 50 years of experience as a registered nurse, women's health nurse practitioner, family nurse practitioner, professor of community health, and acting dean. She be began her career nursing her nursing career as a public health nurse in Southeast Washington, D.C. Dr. Allison continued her work at the University of Pennsylvania, teaching women's health and working with predominantly African-American pregnant adolescents. After completing an MSN at the University of Pennsylvania, she taught minority nursing students at Bryn Mawr Hospital before returning to the University of Pennsylvania to work as a WHNP. A completion of her doctoral studies, she taught at the University of Hawaii and Hawaii Pacific University. Dr. Allison worked with underserved populations on the North Shore of, of Hawaii. <coughs> Excuse me. She directed a clinic with Native Hawaiian healers and nurse practi practitioners to bring people into healthcare, teaching, practice and research have been her focus throughout her career to bring people to understand their health care issues. Good afternoon, Dr. Allison. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Good. I see, I see you travel the world, so to speak, uh, by That's uh, the United States now. <laughs> yeah, spending, spending time in Hawaii, I guess it is. Yes. Spending time in Hawaii and then studying in Pennsylvania. Right. Um, I would like to ask you a, a couple of questions, even though uh, I wanted to spend some time addressing issues related to uh, the African-American community. But um, did you find uh, that it was a challenge working in a clinic with Native Hawaiian healers while you were there? Um, somewhat, yeah, because the nurse practitioners really didn't accept what the native healers had to say, and the native healers weren't uh, really accepting of Western medicine. Mm. Uh, but having worked with them for 10 years, they got to know each other very well and respected what each other could do. So oh. it's not something that's an easy process, but it is a process that can be done. Is that still a challenge in Hawaii? Oh, yes. Yeah. It is? Yeah. Uh, very, very much the same challenge as it is with the African-American population, um, hypertension, asthma, diabetes are huge in uh, native populations, mm -hmm. not only the Hawaiian population, but native American population. But high blood pressure is all over the place. Well, I, <laughs> I am a victim of high blood pressure. <laughs> well, I noticed though that um, you spend a lot of time during your career uh, and there's a teaching women's health and working with predominantly African-American pregnant adolescents. Yes. And I guess I'm going to sort of divide those up. Uh, 
as it relates to teaching women's health, um, what is generally the focus in, in that area? Well, the focus um, in the undergraduate program is just generally not knowing what one does when um, uh, and what is expected of a nurse when someone is pregnant in the um, uh, prenatal clinics during labor and delivery and postpartum. Mm -hmm. um, the focus in undergraduate education is not so much on community health in those areas. In the graduate school area, it's much more um, diverse um, and they get into talking about um, the social disparities of health and the, uh, uh, the deeper problems. Um, as, a, as, an, as a nurse practitioner, you learn how to physically do the same things that a physician can do. So a nurse practitioner can do about 80% of what a primary care physician can do. I'm just curious, you know, um, during this day and time, there are a lot of people who are, I say health practitioners who are retiring, not due to COVID, but because they're part of that baby boom right. uh, category. Those right. who were born in the late 40s, early 50s, or what have you. Uh, do you see a major transition as it relates to persons uh, entering the, uh, the nursing profession? Um, well, I am one of those people who have been retired for a few years now, too. So my knowledge may be a little bit old. We keep trying to bring um, diverse people into nursing. It's a huge um, effort to do that. Um, uh, just because the nursing is based on the sciences and often people um, don't have the science background or have a limited science background coming in. So there are a lot of programs that it will actually help um, build them and transition students so that they can enter nursing. So would you recommend that students who are interested in any area of the uh, health sciences uh, begin their studies maybe while they're in high school? They can, they, they certainly uh, can do that. Um, I think high school is very demanding in and of itself. They do need to have the basic biology, chemistry. Um, it's nice if they have a physiology or anatomy course too, mm -hmm. uh, coming into nursing program. Yeah, I was wondering, I know the field is, um, is very challenging and um, our school systems across the country are not balanced as it relates to the level of experience or academic programs that are in one school versus another. <clears throat> so I know it could be a challenge for some. Uh, I, I, I linked to that, uh, when I think about training and preparation, I'm wondering whether or not you have some thoughts on what it might take to encourage uh, students of color to enter any of the health profession, not just nursing, but become a pediatrician or a surgeon or what have you, or mental health expert. Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't see a lot of um, students of color entering those professions. Uh, I think they need strong encouragement. I do think it's helpful if um, people who look like them are um, encouraging them to, to enter those professions. Mm. Um, so if Black people can encourage Black people to enter. I know when I was in Hawaii, we had mostly an Asian population. 
entering nursing and particularly a Filipino population. And if you look at it, the Filipino nurses are all over the world. The families encourage them to get into nursing. Um, and it has um, held well for them. They, they've done very, very well. So. Well, well I, know it's, I know it's interesting it's a need. here. I mean, in, I would encourage Native Americans too to do the same thing. Well, I know it's a major challenge in the United States. You know, we are dealing with COVID and we know that uh, almost daily you hear of minority communities, specifically uh, African-Americans who are fearful of taking the vaccine because of some uh, incidents that happened um, in the past, we'll say past hundred years or so. <clears throat> but um, would you encourage um, persons regardless of the ethnicity to take the vaccine or I uh, would yeah I, I stand with the CDC and yeah. Dr. Fauci and uh, President um, Biden on all of that I I believe that if we can get we can get this under control if everybody participates well, or most everybody participates well I don't want to I don't want to put you in a political position but I do have a political question to ask associated with that um we're hearing now that the United States uh, is producing a, uh, a lot of vaccine. I mean, uh, I think the most recent report is that by April or May, I can't remember which month, uh, persons across the country will be able to go anywhere to get the vaccine and, and it, the age limit will not be an issue, just 16 and older, I believe. But what we are experiencing is that the U.S. at this point had not taken steps to share the vaccine or the formula for the vaccine with developing countries. For instance, like in South Africa, as of last week, uh, I think only 140,000 people out of a population of 14 million mm. have access to the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So uh, not to be political, but what would be, what would be your thoughts on the United States sharing the vaccine with other well, countries? I think it's an excellent idea to share the vaccine. And actually in the New York Times this morning, it's come out that um, President Biden is sending um, uh, vaccines to um, Mexico and Central America. Yeah. So I, that's the first step. I do believe we need to um, take care of our own, um, but I do, need, do also believe that if you're gonna get a pandemic, that means across the world mm -hmm. under control, you've got to treat everybody. Right, right. Well, you know, we hope that that will happen. Um, uh, we've been looking at on our end, Cuba and China, because we have some partnerships there. And the process of administering the vaccine is uh, slow and tedious. Mm -hmm. So, well, and Canada is way behind us, too. Yes. Um, I have um, family in Canada who would like to go to Colorado to their uh, granddaughter's first hockey game, or excuse me, they're in the championship. <laughs> they can't go across the border and they can't get the vaccine. So um, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time to roll it out, but I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm an yeah. eternal optimist. Well, do you have any fear that uh, within those countries where they don't have the vaccine and, new, and what is being reported, the new strands of that virus are surfacing? Do you have any uh, uh, idea whether or not those strands would impact people in the United States? or whether or not the vaccine we're taking, do you think will we'll, we'll cover everything, will suffice? 
Uh, I'm hoping that it will suffice, but mm -hmm. you know, hope is not necessarily <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the reality. Right. Um, uh, but from what I'm reading, they're they're beginning to say that the the scientists are beginning to say that they think that it will too. Um, you're going to get different strands um, coming up um, all the time, um, and hopefully we've got 98% of it covered. I'm not sure that we have that we'll ever have 100% of it covered, because um, these little bugs are quite creative and keep our minds going. Uh, they uh, keep um, evolving. Mm -hmm. As we get a, a handle on the first one, they evolve to another one so that they can continue to live too. Well, I know we, we talk about uh, herd immunity, but <clears throat> I'm hoping like many others that um, a year from now or even shorter period of time that we'll be back to some form of uh, normality. I noticed that, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in your experience, you've worked with uh, predominantly African-American pregnant adolescents. And... Um, I just would like for you to share what your experiences have been working with, with that uh, population and even possibly some of the issues that the, the adolescents are dealing with that might be um, based on their home experience or community activities. Um, I worked with, um, and perhaps you know that her name, Dr. Helen Dickens, who was the first black woman who was admitted to the um, American College of OBGYN. And uh, she was a wonderful, wonderful mentor or in person. Um, she has passed away now, but she worked well into her 80s. And my experience was that um, the adolescents who came into to clinic um, have a, in some ways a similar story in terms of becoming pregnant. And they um, so often, um, the men who have, they have been involved with their boys that they have been involved with um, are pushed away from the families. And we really try to incorporate those guys into our program too, because um, as one of the men used to say, he said, you may not be with this woman, this girl all your life, but you have a responsibility to this child that is being brought into the world. Um, The girls themselves are um, typical adolescents. They tend to try and hide their pregnancies, particularly in winter when they can, they come in in big old coats and mm -hmm. have them wrapped around them. And um, uh, they weren't often very um, forthcoming in terms of um, verbalizing all the things that they were dealing with. But they, um, at the time that I was working with them, they were, um, schools for pregnant adolescents were beginning to pop up. It used to be that when you were a pregnant adolescent, you weren't allowed to go to school anymore, like your brain cells died if you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. But um, um, these girls were trying to continue school. And we do know statistically, if you have one child, you're very likely to be able to make it and, you know, turn your life around and, um, uh, you know, um, upgrade yourself or become a middle-class person. If you have two or more children, it's much, much more difficult to do so. Um, 
if you've had children, you know that dealing with children is extremely difficult. Um, I hear about it on the local news every morning about women who are dealing with um, having to stay home with their kids all the time. Yes, we love our kids, but maybe not 24 hours of the day. Mm -hmm. And that's rather true of anybody. You need a support person to um, help you out with those. Mm -hmm. So people who had supports, the mothers were supportive um, of, the, of the teen pregnant girls, um, actually did pretty well. But they also were at a point where they felt, um, that is the mothers felt that, oh gee, my daughter's growing up. Um, she's gonna get out of high school. She's gonna be on her own. Um, and now we're back to where I've been for the last 18 years mm -hmm. with a, a child at home. And do I want this? No, not particularly. Do I love this child? Yes, I do. Will I help my daughter? Yes, I will. But it's a very difficult um, situation. Um, in some ways, it's a revolving situation uh, and difficult to deal with. Do you think that the environment uh, within the community and also within in the household contributes to some of these young ladies uh, getting pregnant? Because, you know, uh, we, there used to be a phrase, and not for the audience to take it uh, negatively, but there used to be a phrase, babies raising babies. Yes. You know, 13, 14, 15-year-old young ladies having a child, and you're not an adult. And I know in some communities, they might be in an environment where that is unfortunately the norm. Yes, it is. You think that it's also expected. I mean, the... the uh, um, you know, teenage girls get together and it, it becomes uh, almost a joke of, of um, um, while well, you're pregnant, um, you know, I, I think I'll get pregnant too or whatever and they, and they do. And sometimes the, uh, I remember one incident where um, uh, we were in the hospital and uh, a young lady had given birth and um, then another nurse saw the guy down in the um, intensive care nursery and his other girlfriend was on another floor and it had given a birth too. So he said, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a naughty guy, aren't I? Ha ha. Mm -hmm. but there are some serious implications to that. Um, and it's kind of, to me, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Now, when they're at that age, um, uh, that teenage age, so to speak, and they, they're going through this, are there services that are provided by uh, outside the clinic uh, with social workers or? Well, we had social worker in yeah. the clinic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and yes, you know, so she would try and um, uh, talk to the students about what their issues were, uh, not um, young ladies, about what their issues were and um, uh, try and involve the, the mothers often fathers were generally uh, not involved. Okay. Yeah. But did, did you find that they would play a role after the child was born or because they're at that teenage age themselves, do they move on? Yeah. Um, both, mm -hmm. both. I was really surprised when they very attractive um, young lady, but she had some mental health problems and um, her boyfriend was extremely supportive of her and stayed with her and helped her out. So, you know, you hate to say, well, most people do this and most people do that. It really depends on the individual. 
um, and where they come from. But I think many guys disappear. And I also think that um, girls push them away and the mothers push them away. They don't let them near them. So they think, well, what's my role? And the mother, the mother is telling the daughter, well, if he can't bring any money in, then he must not be a real man. He must not be your father. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are lots of emotional things a father can do without bringing in money necessarily. Well, that's still a challenge in the community. You know, I, I was just thinking when you, when you said that about um, uh, how the situation is in other countries. I actually had a, a call earlier this morning with uh, Ila Gandhi, mm -hmm. who is the who granddaughter of Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, in our conversation, she was telling me about marriages being arranged yeah. in, in India at the time Mahatma Gandhi was, uh, was married. And I, I had to ask, uh, since she took me in, in there, I, I had to ask, well, how old was Mahatma Gandhi when he got married? And she said, 13. Mm. And um, that led me to think, well, are they starting a family mm -hmm. at that point? Uh, I didn't raise that question, but I'm thinking it because um, you're under the same roof, you're married now, and uh, generally in many cultures, it's expected yeah. that uh, the wife will bear children, you know, for longevity. Mm -hmm. But um, what are, what would you think would be, um, well, let me rephrase it. Do you think there would be a need or a benefit for schools, maybe even as early as the sixth or seventh grade, to provide health education for young men and young women? Oh, I think definitely. You know, or sex education. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, sex education is usually, for the guys, is usually pr uh, provided by the gym teachers. And I kind of <laughs> question whether that's a appropriate use of gym right. teachers or not. Um, and particularly if you've got uh, male gym teachers talking to males, you know, yeah. I'm just wondering what that, I've never been involved in that conversation, but I'm wonder what um, misconceptions about women might be given mm -hmm. um, or what they think, you know, was a macho man that they can do whatever mm -hmm. as long as they use a condom, you know? Uh, so uh, I think, I think we need to, figure out, I, and I do think there is some good guidance and good coursework in terms of sex education, except it keeps getting cut back um, by depending on which administration is in, um, can cut it back and then it's geared up again and then it gets cut back again. So there's no real consistency about how that is, so. You know, the, the American public uh, must be concerned uh, even though it's not on the front burner at the point because of COVID and, and unemployment and the homeless and everything. But you would think the American public would be concerned because billions of tax dollars are utilized annually to subsidize individuals who have such challenges. You know, the, uh, the, the teenage girl who is 16 but has five, five children and, and has to be on food stamps and needs medical care and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I know we talked about uh, social services being made available for youngsters and, and uh, the challenges you had with Native Hawaiian healers. Do you feel that um, the government should be providing uh, health care 
for all citizens, regardless of their financial status. And, and the reason I ask that, because we know that some persons, individuals, probably millions, um, need to have health care, but unable to acquire it because of where they live or finances. So, uh, so going back to my question, that's kind of stating my opinion about it. Uh, what, what would be your opinion on, on having a political network or some kind of format that would provide everyone in the United States with um, healthcare? I think it's, a, to me, it's an excellent idea. Mm -hmm. um, we are one of the, uh, I think we are the last major underdeveloped country not to provide healthcare for all its citizens. I, I very much in favor of that. That make me, may make me very much too liberal but it is, I've just seen so many situations um, where people can't get uh, for many different reasons and um, they've tried and it just hasn't happened for them mm -hmm. and it takes forever. I mean, even, you know, like um, this promised stimulus, people are beginning to say, well, where's my stimulus check? Because they expect it immediately. And believe me, there's nothing immediate with the government. It, <laughs> That's it's right. It just takes time to roll it out. So, um, yeah, I, I'm in favor of everybody having health care. It's, it's very, very sad to see those who aren't. There is an organization, which the name escapes me, that goes around the world and provides care for um, people. And they provided, uh, they came to Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, rural areas, and they were people who were just lined up trying to get in to see them. And they could only mm. take so many a day. I mean, they had these huge tents or huge warehouses where they would come in and set up and they would be there for uh, weekends or short periods of time. Um, that shouldn't happen. We should be better than that. We can be better than that. So. You know, what's, what's um, consistent about our media and persons in power is that we often say uh, we're the superpower. Yeah. You, know, you know, we, um, yeah. uh, we're number one in the world in almost everything. And, and we try to be, you know, mm -hmm. from sports to education to what have you. But uh, there are obvious areas where we're lacking. Uh, I always try to stay out of the politics when I'm speaking to someone like such as yourself. But then there's something you say that makes me want to ask you a political question. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you made a comment earlier. And uh, you may be aware that uh, a day or two ago, uh, Deb Holland, who's a Native American, mm -hmm. was, was appointed as uh, head of the Department of the Interior. Yay. Uh, and so, <laughs> so with, uh, I'm throwing that out there to ask a, I'll say a non-political question, but for some people it might be political. We know that um, the water in Flint, that with all the lead in that's been poisoning uh, everyone who receives it for years, uh, that that issue has not been resolved. We know that in the uh, Navajo community, uh, 30 to 40% of the Navajos who live on a reservation do not have running water. And there are certain parts of the reservation where there are droughts 
where animals even animals can't live. So the question I would I would pose of you is whether or not you think there should be a restructuring of the Department of the Interior or the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, where they're put under one roof uh, with an assignment to address these issues. Because for me personally, I cannot imagine living in a city for five, six, seven years, knowing that the water is, is poisoning myself and my children, or in 2021, not having running water because of government restrictions. So yeah. I don't think you're running for office, not that I know of. So no. uh, you, you, you might be able to show your 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 no, view. I would think that, you know, particularly in Flint, that they would have done more sooner than they've mm -hmm. done. Um, I think they the people there have probably have to organize and go after um, their representatives and keep after them to make sure that it happens. I, I don't know any other way to do that. Um, as to the Navajo population, I think that they've done some really good things. I mean, they are trying, um, like the Native Hawaiians, to reclaim their own heritage. And um, I think they've been able to um, come into their own and, and build that up a lot. Certainly there are things that are chronically needing to be done. Um, and it, it's a shame to the to see that the only time that you see them is when they have to lobby against some oil contingency right. that's coming through their area. Or if oil people are coming through their area, then they need to cough up some money and, and fix the situation for them or help them fix the situation. Yeah, that tends not to be the case, though. Yeah. You know, the situation with, with Native Americans. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of go all the way back because I, I see we're running out of time. I'm going to go all the way back to your history. Yes. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the easy part. The first question is, are you from Boston or Pennsylvania? I'm from um, Newton, Boston area. Newton, Boston. Yeah. And so uh, from an academic point of view, what did you see or what did it, what attracted you to the nursing program at Boston University versus Simmons College or other nursing programs in the area? Well, at that time, Boston University was considered the best nursing program in the country. Okay. So um, uh, I thought I'd give it a chance and see mm -hmm. if they'd accept me. Yeah. And has nursing uh, always been your passion? I mean, from like uh, high school or college or? Um, I probably shouldn't even say this, but to me, it was a, um, a sellable skill. It was um, something that I knew as a woman I could earn money at. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways, I'm sorry about that because I, I like seeing people do all the diverse, the women do all the diverse things that they do now. Mm -hmm. I really, I remember telling a seventh grade uh, science teacher I wanted to be the first woman in space. Well, unfortunately, Sally Ride got that opportunity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I would have, I would have enjoyed doing something like that. Also, I wasn't that good at math, so mm -hmm. I probably never would have gotten in. But um, and my mother was a nurse, and it served her well. My father was uh, killed in the Second World mm -hmm. War, and um, um, it was a skill that served her both at home and in the community um, all her life. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where, the, where society has changed 
yes. a lot maybe in the last couple of decades with women being able to be engaged in any career that, that she desires to pursue. And um, I know I speak with my mother, uh, who was actually born in 1919, mm-hmm. and, and her comment about opportunities for women uh, were that there are two or three professions that yeah. you, you get a job. One was teaching, the other was nursing, and I don't remember the third, but it was, uh, there was another one that she felt, oh, a home provider. Oh, you know, uh, oh, yeah. someone either, either uh, domestic work as a cleaner, cleaning mm-hmm. someone's home, or maybe mm-hmm. taking care of the elderly, but you weren't trained. You were baby, maybe just the, um, the sitter, so to speak, for someone who needed support. Right. Well, I want to thank you. As unfortunately, we ran out of time. I, I enjoy speaking with you. And uh, I hope we can have you come back again uh, in the very immediate future and we can see what happens with the rollout or the final rollout of COVID and whether or not uh, the United States uh, follows through on the Army statement, be all you can be, right? And, yes. and, start, and start helping some of these developing countries. All right. But thank you again. I appreciate it on behalf of the National Association of African American Studies and Affiliates. Thank you.